Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Project Sebastian podcast, and I just wanted to just say it is Sunday, the last day of September, September 30th, and what an amazing day here in SoCal, got some great weather out there for you, I don't know what the weather's like anywhere else, but uh, I'm sure it's awesome for you too as well. You know, sometimes you come across a lot of people in your life and you feel some sort of a connection and I just wanted to let you know that um, in this this Batten disease community uh, that I belong to I I do feel connected to uh, some more than others and there's a lot of great families out there looking for answers looking for support I came across a real special lady uh, named Vanessa Severance so she's coming up next on the show uh, we're gonna talk to her about her battle with Batten disease and and the family and how it's affected, so stay tuned. So, today's show, we're going to be talking to another Batten disease family. Uh, welcome to the show, Vanessa Severance. How are you, Vanessa? Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's uh, my pleasure, my honor. I, uh, Really looking forward to hearing your story about uh, your journey with Batten disease, actually. How are you today? Well, it's a rainy, cold day in the Midwest, uh, so it's a good day for Chile. So we're just taking it easy today. <laughs> I was just telling everybody who's listening that it was amazing weather in California. It wasn't hot oh. at all. It was nice and sunny. So it's, that's funny, mostly. Okay. How, was, um, how was Sebastian's birthday yesterday? That was a big milestone. Oh, you saw that? Yeah. Thank God for social media. How else would we ever connect? Um, that was a uh, birthday party I promised him um, back in late July um, that we just never got around to uh, scheduling with our fundraisers for CNL8 and Project Sebastian, and then him doing a lot of great stuff with his mother, with her foundation, and uh, mm-hmm. that place books up pretty fast, so um, um things kind of settled down now that everybody was in school. So I had an opportunity and it was, it was fun. I don't know. Have you ever been to laser tag? Uh, I have, I have. Oh, Oh, everything. Okay. Over there. (laughs) Okay. We're good. Uh, Laser tag. Yes. Could you keep up with the kids? Oh yeah. I, I kill everybody in there. I don't let anybody win. (laughs) (laughs) Take no prisoners. No, no. Usually I just direct Sebastian. Uh, I guide him because he's uh, really blind. So mm-hmm. I just guide him from behind and I tell him to shoot and I tell him to, to run. And we have, we have a good time. <laughs> we have a really good time, yeah. So, uh, Vanessa, um, we're just going to start off. We're just going to get right into it. If you could just give us a little background about who you are and uh, um, what's happening in your life with uh, your children's diagnosis and just break it down for us if you can. Sure, sure. Um, So I live in northern Illinois. It's about 50 miles north of Chicago. So we're right by the Wisconsin border. Um, My husband and I, we just celebrated 16 years of marriage yesterday. That's right. Congrats. Uh, I'm sorry, two days ago. And um, we have boy-girl twins that are five and a half, Grant and Vivian. Wow, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... um, so they just keep us busy, going, going, going. They're both in kindergarten now. 
And so our, our days are just filled nonstop from morning till night. But I'm, I know you know how that is. Sure. Uh, but for the rest of uh, the listeners out there, can you tell us exactly what your child's diagnosis in and at what age were they diagnosed? Sure. So um, Grant actually, well, like I said, the kids are five and a half now. Um, he was diagnosed with CLN2 Batten disease. And the official name for that is late infantile neuronal steroid lipofusinosis. Sure. It's a lysosomal storage disorder and it's caused by a missing enzyme and it is neurodegenerative. So what that means for people that aren't familiar with that term is it affects the neurons in the brain, causing them to die off. So there's a lot of rare diseases that fall under the neurodegenerative umbrella and Batten disease would be one of them. So he was born completely normal, um, met all of his milestones up until about three years old. And then two months before his third birthday, he had his first seizure. And so the next year after that was filled with, you know, multiple neurologists and specialists and all sorts of testing until we finally did um, some genetic testing. And then we went to the Mayo Clinic and we got the, we got the results there. Wow. Okay. That's, Mm -hmm. that's that's a lot. So. Yeah. And, you know, um, there was a year of trying to figure out what's going on. So it it was, they just gave it the epilepsy Mm. blanket answer because they really didn't know. So they call that intractable epilepsy or refractory epilepsy. So I don't know if you had to deal with that with Sebastian during his diagnostic journey. Sure. sure. Yes. Unfortunately, he was misdiagnosed for uh, just around five years before we actually had a a real definition as to why we had uh, epilepsy, of course, in the beginning and then Mm -hmm. uh, the blindness and the loss of speech and fine motor skills. Yeah. Good times. Mm, Yeah. I can't even imagine that is a long road for sure. Mm. I see. So you said you had a daughter. Mm hmm. And her, her outcome, her, she's normal. She, right. So of course, fraternal twins, they have two different um, amniotic sacs. And so they're completely separate of each other. So if they were um, identical twins, Mm. they could have both had Batten disease or not at all. Right. Okay. Okay. So, um, sorry about that little glitch in the system there. (laughs) So you were saying that your daughter, um, is affected or unaffected by the same disease as your son. So his twin sister is unaffected. Wow. And she was also tested for Batten? At this point, she has not been tested, but she would be symptomatic. They are five and a half years old now and symptoms usually start between, um, two and four years old. So now the testing would be to find out if she is a carrier. So she knows what her future could potentially hold. So in, in your, see, you're, you're a little bit, um, you have a little bit more knowledge than, than, than me, Vanessa, uh, your variant is CNL2. Mm-hmm. So every variant, as you know, uh, for our listeners, you know, just join us. Yeah. There are 14 different recorded variants and each variant of Batten disease has its own set of, um, problems, issues, uh, if you will. Um, and 
what what you see characteristically in some variants like Sierra one, two, or three may not be present in you know seven, eight, or nine, and that's why I asked that question to Vanessa. I mean, um, so Sebastian doesn't have some of those issues um, yet, or he may never, but he's also fifteen, mm-hmm. so there's the difference right there. We we didn't see anything uh, of what you're talking about until he was like, you know, maybe eight, to be honest with you. Yeah, it does seem that, so Sebastian, he has the LN8. So would that be considered um, juvenile batten disease? Well, in the beginning, it was late infantile, you know, and, you know, now I don't even know, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, as this disease continues to progress, we're trying to figure out a solution, you know, as to, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the definition is great, Vanessa, but here we are fighting for our lives, as you know. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I look back on Grant's year of seizures and it was all different types of seizures. He exhibits four different kinds and it didn't start that way. You know, he starts with the convulsive seizures, the tonic clonics, which used to be called grand malls, and now they call them tonic clonics. So it, they usually presented in convulsions. Right. Um, and then they started to present in drop seizures, where the body just loses all tone within a split second, and then they fall. So that was months and months of being injured on a daily basis. Um, and I, you know, I was of the mindset that it's epilepsy and we'll find the right mix and cocktail of medications and we'll get this under control. So I didn't know without a diagnosis, I didn't know things like I need adaptive equipment. He needs to be in a special seat or stroller, or there's these safety measures that I have to put into place. So I had my house covered in gym mats and um, I I got him a helmet. And then once we got the diagnosis, we were able to um, hook up with a company out this way. It's a palliative care company. And they brought me a bath chair. And I remember just standing over the nurse, giving him a bath and a bath chair. And it was, it was just amazing moment of how hard my life had been. And I didn't even, I was living it, but I didn't recognize how hard it was. And it didn't, those daily aspects of caring for him didn't have to be that hard, but how would I know that he needed a bath chair? How would I know that? Sure. There, sure. There's no way to know. I'm not in the special needs world. I'm in epilepsy world. And, and I can look back now and kind of laugh as part of the journey. Um, some of the things that, that you try, um, I can look back and say, okay, we went sugar-free. We went gluten-free. He tried uh, um, yeah. five different AEDs, which we call in the community, um, they're anti-epileptic drugs. Um, CBD oil, medical marijuana. I even went as far as this one always kind of cracks me up. Um, I did an earthing blanket. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Vanessa, you you started this off by saying that your your son was on some medications and kind of, can you kind of describe what they were? What was he on anti seizure or was he on medication other than anti seizure? No, they usually start kids off, uh, to my understanding, usually Keppra is a pretty, um, 
it's the generic, I don't want to say the generic one, but it's usually the most common one that they start kids off on. And at this point, Grant was still mobile. He was still running around. So the response he had was excessive hyperactivity. He fell down the stairs. Um, but when he also started seizing, he was still walking and talking every day. Oh, okay. Um, I see. Um, yeah. So he ran around and said, you know, mommy, sister, he played with the dog. They played in the hose in the pool and, and they were just two little partners in crime running around the house. And then he would have these, <laughs> these seizures um, right. throughout. And of course, looking back on those seizure days versus if he has a seizure now, I'm certainly two different people with how I handle that. You know, when you first see a seizure, the first thing you do is you call 911 and you're in an ambulance. Yeah. Um, but once you've seen, you know, 50 to 100 of them, sure. my daughter at four years old could could command a room and tell everybody what to do. Yes, as we are, we become medical professionals on the fly. Mm. Yeah, quickly. So um, is is Grant able to speak today or walk on his own? Or So he no longer has any words. He lost his last words about a year ago. Yeah, I'm so and sorry. Thank you. Um, and now he can um, walk only if he's in his gait trainer or slightly assisted. I see. But he, his legs are very spastic. And um, so, you know, he's on his tiptoes. That's all part of the neurodegeneration. Um, they get spasticity in their feet. And there's a whole slew of things that come on as the disease progresses. Um, and, and often you don't know until maybe someone points it out or you reach out to your Batten family and say, Hey, they're doing this a lot. And then they, other people and friends kind of lead the way. Sure. Sure. So you mentioned that um, <clears throat> we have some uh, challenges in the day. Can you, can you kind of tell us what your day is like with uh, Grant? Well, sure. First I want to back up and, and just mention some of the medications he's on now, just so you get an idea. Um how many times he's getting medication throughout the day and which ones is are currently our magic cocktail. Okay. <laughs> and I use that loosely because of course there's still those breakthrough seizures. He still has drops throughout the day. He's still very toxic, but in comparison to where he was, um, we're, we're in a really great place, but it doesn't mean that there's absolutely no seizure activity because that would be, that wouldn't be um, truthful. So um, right now he's on Keppra, Onfi, and Topiramate. So those are three AEDs. And then we also add in, in the evening, um, Baclofen, which is a muscle relaxer, which helps with that um, spasticity in the feet because they wake up crying from that. And then Artane, which is an antispasmatic. And that is the most recent drug that we've added. And that helps with dystonia. So dystonia is similar to spasticity, although the the joints, his feet will turn in much harder where the muscle will really tightly spasm. And, you know, that's probably the one time he really cries out in pain is when that happens. And then all of his meds are given through his um, gastrostomy tube, which is a G-tube. And it's a tube that's inserted through the abdomen that delivers the food and meds directly to the stomach. So he got that about a year ago. And that has been a tremendous help for him he's able to, you know, meet his daily caloric needs and sustain his weight. Oh. Um, 
and he still eats a little bit by mouth. I, I blend him up squeezy pouches and sometimes it's store-bought and sometimes most of the time I make my own. So that's kind of a labor of love. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then uh, the tube is used mostly, you know, just for medications <clears throat> and um, supplementing calories on his really bad days because we see a lot of good days, but we also still see those bad days. Okay, okay. where he struggles to swallow or maybe even to remember to pick up that little piece of food that he's eating or how to pick it up because there's that loss of fine motor skills. He's still, ha he's really strong in the gross motor skills, but we still are seeing a decline in the fine motor skills. Right, right. So well, that, that, that would be the medication aspect. Um, a day in the life. I like to call it a, a juggling act. It's, <clears throat> let's just say getting out the door <laughs> to get into school, I, I look at us like a small pit crew, nice. getting out the door running. So we usually wake up about four in the morning, I would say. Um, he wakes up once or twice throughout the night, but then he's up for the day at about five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. And then it's diaper changes. He's, he's still in diapers. We give him his drink. Um, we do, you know, the medications through the tube. I get both the kids ready for school. And he gets his medications through his tube three times a day. Mm -hmm. A lot of my day is <clears throat> spent um, preparing those syringes and the flushes and blending foods and making sure he's properly packed for school. Do they have extra supplies? Does he have his, his neck pillow? Does the school have enough meds at school? Did we pack his AFOs, which are his foot braces? Um, does he have the right helmet? And then after school, it's baths and dinner and, and all the things that come with just raising a family and then in between that there's physical therapy and communicating all day long with teachers and the bus driver and the neurologist and the pharmacy and the sitter and the nurse and the social worker and that's just for him and then there's my daughter who she has all of her needs throughout the day looking through her homework and asking her about her day and um, we currently have her working with a social worker but we can talk about that a little bit later Wow. And then I work. Yeah, I was just going to say, you have a full-time job too, right? Right, a full-time job. And then he has physical therapy twice a week outside of that. And infusions are twice a month. Okay. So we're going and going and going. Like I said, it's a juggling act. That's that's incredible. We're going to get to the infusions in a second because that's that's yeah. amazing. But you said you were married now and you just had a uh, an anniversary. So congratulations on that. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Hi. Uh, how active is your partner in all of this daily activities? Cause I know he's got a full-time job too. Yes. Right. He has a full-time job and he does travel um, for work, but he has cut that down substantially um, after diagnosis. So that's been a great help. And um, he knows the system, you know, he does the, the meds through the G tube. He does the nightly routine. Um, he, we switch off with infusion days and physical therapy days. So he's really hands-on and I'm really fortunate um, yeah. for that. Yeah, it's, a, it's important to have a, a, a support team, if not a partner in our lives to help us with the day-to-day -day, uh, challenges that, um, that are really, they take up a, a great deal of time. Um, so I'm happy to hear about that, about um, the, the support that you're getting at home. It seems to me like you've got a nice little, <laughs> I imagine you're probably still talking. I'm so sorry about that. Um, okay. We keep uh, dropping the call here. I, I don't know what's going on. No, I hope it's so. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's great that you got a great support system. <laughs> um, so 
how how long have you been doing that type of schedule? Oh, at least a year and a half. Um, longer with that that type of grind. So I would say you you kind of get rid of some things and then some new tasks are added back in. I so see. you just trade out one one thing for the, the next, but every day really is a grind from beginning to end. Right. So when you, we when you, when managed you, to be a fine tuned machine, I think. Okay. So when you say grind, can you tell us just, you can just speak off the cuff because we mm -hmm. understand. Can you tell us what some of your frustrations are with your current situation? You know, you got one child who's, you know, somewhat uh, healthy and you got another child who's challenged. And you've got all these things going on, you know, what are your frustrations, Vanessa? I mean, can you touch on that a little bit? Well, first of all, I would say sleep. I mean, I, I try to take a nap at every opportunity um, and I do tend to go to bed early and it's not because I, I, it just, it's, I'm always trying to stay ahead of it. And I think that would probably be the biggest frustration. If I have two to three hours of time, I say, Ooh, I could blend up food. That's going to take me two hours, but that's going to get me through the next week and a half of not preparing. There's so much time that goes into preparing as well as running a household and taking care of Grant is like having a sick baby all the time. So just to go down the road or to go hang out with a friend real quick, it, it really does take about an hour of preparations. And then often it's just easier to stay home, I would say. I see. Do you, do you find yourself a little bit saddened by that type of choices that you're forced to make? Well, I definitely would say it's isolating. I think a lot of special needs parents face that type of isolation because it's not as easy as, hey, give me a call. I can run out on a whim because we don't know from moment to moment how Grant is, what kind of day he's having. And our life is really dictated by his schedule of medications and care. So yeah, that, I think that's frustrating, but you know, I really don't, um, I don't dwell on that. I just kind of take it for what it is. Okay. Okay. So we have all these challenges and we have really no time for ourselves or our family, mm -hmm. or our friends. Um, so where currently is Grant being treated at and what types of treatments you, you had mentioned a little bit earlier about the infusions. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So Grant is receiving uh, enzyme replacement therapy, and that <clears throat> is a treatment for CLN2 batten disease only. And it's the first of its kind. Um, we started off in Ohio about a year and a half ago with him getting treatment. And it was right before, well, you know what, actually it was, he didn't receive treatment until after it was FDA approved. It was April 27th, 2016, I believe. Um, and so we were traveling every other week for him to get infusions there and wow. the infusions are done directly into the brain, into the CSF and, um, it takes about four hours for this medicine to drip. It's very expensive. And what it does is it's supposed to, um, help with ambulation and slow down the fast progression of the disease. And so we were really fortunate enough to come across a pediatric neurologist at a Rush Hospital in Chicago that has had a lot of experience with batten disease. And she's also a clinical trial doctor for another rare disease, Neiman-Pick disease. 
Wow. So she really knows her stuff. And um, I like to call her the trifecta of a great human being. I think she has a genius brain. Um, she's as humble as they come and she has a heart of gold. And we just feel like she's such a blessing mm -hmm. and we're so grateful that we were able to connect with her because it really has changed our life. I mean, that traveling every other week, holding down full-time jobs, dealing with that and disease every day in our life and trying to function in any normal capacity was not an option with that type of travel. It would be a three-day trip every other week. That's, in, that's, in, each that's, in, that's just incredible. It took, I, it took so a toll on us. I, really I, can, I can only imagine. I, and, and, and Grant, does he... Does he feel the port going into the brain or is it painful or? I, I don't believe so. They use lidocaine. We put lidocaine an hour um, before we get there. We have a pretty good system. He watches his Mickey Mouse. They get him prepped. Um, the medication is very, very expensive. It is the, the first treatment of its kind. So it has a really big price tag on it. And of course, they don't even pull it out of the freezer until he's already accessed, which is once they get the needle in. Um, and then we wait for about an hour for it to thaw out and then we begin the drip, but he's pretty tolerant when he first started, of course he would scream and it, it was, it was traumatic and now he's just an old. Uh, I see. So when you say expensive, Vanessa, I mean, can you ballpark this treatment for us? Is it covered sure, under I, insurance? Sure. Or? The commercial value is $27,000 per treatment and he gets what? treated every other week. Oh my Lord. The rare disease community, but I don't need to tell you that. So is, is Grant under insurance or is this out of pocket? He is currently under insurance. So insurance is covering it. Of course, they review it every year. Wow. So when it comes under review next, there's a potential he may not be covered. Um, and we, we kind of, I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there. So you're saying that the insurance may be changing so that some of these children like Grant won't be getting this procedure? Is that what you're saying? That's possible. Sure, it's always possible. You have to think an insurance co company is incurring a very large cost um, for a, a child that's terminal. And so we're constantly proving that um, treatment is helping and how it's helping. Wow. I, I, that's just, um, just to add one more you know, stress to your life is now the, the potential financial aspect, the burden of that. Uh, it's incredible what you and Alan go through. Well, I think we're both extremely fortunate that we both work for supportive companies. Um, as I said, we work full time. I actually cover the insurance. I have better insurance coverage. I work for a larger company and we've been really blessed to receive donations along the way that have gone directly toward grants, medical needs and things as a family that we've been able to purchase um, to make life manageable. Wow. Yeah. And, and I say that it's, it's manageable. It wasn't manageable a year ago. It's not manageable when you're financially struggling and you can't provide um, your kids with basic care. So, so I always encourage people to, if you see a GoFundMe or, or you see some type of fundraiser, you can support a family directly. Absolutely. Because this journey is hard enough. Well, I mean, I've uh, followed your story um, for the better part of two years, Vanessa. You guys are amazing out there spreading awareness and, and, and raising uh, some money for uh, this 
horrible batten disease um so we have we have siblings one's not affected yet and and may never be but maybe a carrier and we have one who's basically been terminally ill or diagnosed as terminally ill so when you wake up do you or if when you ever do sleep like you said does that race through your mind in the, in the sense of what it's like for you knowing that your child may die soon? Um, well, it's, it's definitely a constant roller coaster. And there's this phrase that I saw somewhere and it said, not everyone understands how you can spin two lassos at the same time, one of hope and one of grief. And I, I think that's probably the best way to describe or to try to have some understanding of what it feels um, raising and caring for a terminally, a terminally ill child. And some advice that I was given was don't borrow grief from the future. And that's uh, something, yeah. Yeah, that's like something that. that's to great. really always keep in the forefront of your mind because, you know, we deal with since diagnosis, as you know, we, we live with anticipatory grief. And so that comes with a big shocking kind of tsunami on you. And, and then over time and you start to have acceptance or some sort of acceptance of what you can. Um, sure. Letting go of how you thought things were supposed to be. And then you just get those little waves from time to time that kind of remind you that your child is still dying before your eyes and, and there's really nothing you can do about it. I mean, we do the best. We give them the best quality of life. We're seeking out these treatments and these these cures, but we know the value of time. And I think I try to look at all of it as the blessings that have come from his diagnosis, what they've given me is gratitude and humility and strength and courage and to live more present than I had been living. And I think some people go through their whole entire life and never learn that, to be present. Very and I feel like I'm more present with when I do, when I have the opportunity to engage with friends or family, to just be in that moment. And so even though he's still here, I, I'm still already, I see these blessings. That's, that's so very true. I mean, um, if you read any of my blogs or heard about anything that I usually rant about, it's always about time. We never have enough of it. We can't buy it and we never really appreciate it. So um, I applaud you and um, you have an amazing spirit. Um, oh, as you, what did Senator uh, Scott Wilk said? You ooze passion from your pores. Yes, that is the epitome of Chris Valona. Uh, thank and you. We are grateful for all of your efforts to raise awareness and all that you've done in the community. Well, you know, Unfortunately, we were all dealt this hand, and uh, I'm not one to fold my cards. I'm always one to press and to push. I don't have a choice, as you don't either, and some of these other guests that have been on the show. I just think that um, these were the challenges that we were given, and I think that we were um, put in these situations to change people's lives. And I'm I'm happy to have someone like you to, to talk with uh, on a daily basis or through our texting and um, – How'd you like that bag? Oh, oh, it's, it's fabulous. It's so fancy. I don't even want to use it, but um, I will be using it to go to an, um, an upcoming Batten event gala. So it'll work out perfect for that. That's great. So for the listeners out there, um, her 
amazing husband, Alan, uh, put in a bid through a silent auction for our last wine event here in California. And uh, Alan was the highest bidder. So thank you to Alan. And then I'm sure that yeah. you love it, don't you? Yes. Yeah. And I, I had no intentions. I didn't ask for it. And I think that was the best. It was a great surprise. <laughs> Those are the best thing. So Vanessa, um, what are you doing like to raise awareness for uh, your CNL2 family? Um, do you have like a, a website or a blog or any event coming up that you want to plug or tell well, us well, to go? We have a Facebook page where we just share Grant's journey. And I believe at some point we will make it um, a foundation like Project Sebastian. But at this time, we are choosing to be more present because, you, as you know, running a foundation or any type of organization like that, it, it takes a lot of time. And we know we don't have that ample time. So yeah. for now, we just share his journey and raise awareness okay. um, to, the, to the community. And What is the uh, name of your Facebook page so we can check in on Grant? Oh, that'd be great. Rise Up for Grant. Rise up for Grant. I yes, love it. Right. Awesome. <laughs> it's great. Well, he's definitely a cutie. So uh, uh, listeners out there, make sure that you like that page and add it to your daily feed scroll. I'm sure you'll find some amazing uplifting stories. And you can actually uh, cheer this family on like I do on a daily basis. Oh, thank you. That's awesome. Um, you know, we had, we had talked a little bit offline about um, siblings, Yes. <laughs> Some of their challenges. And I think when we talk about how the disease affects a family or having a terminal child in your life, often it's the siblings that bear the brunt of a lot of it. Yep. Um, and they're really the ones on the front lines with us looking out for them and, and caring for them. And sometimes their needs are, are set aside and we struggle to be present. And um, so what I've recently started doing with Vivian is, well, I would say over the last year, we've had a great set of a mother-daughter team of volunteers that came into our lives and they come here to see Vivian, although they play with Grant, really their focus is Vivian. They, they come to the door and they bring her flowers and they bring her baked goods and, and just adore her with attention they just shower her with so much love and affection for her to be special because what our our other kids see is all this attention around the child with the disease because they require so much care it's not a matter of do we love them more or do we love the other one less it's just what is required for their care sure um and so have you had to deal with any type of resentment or compensating <laughs> and all of that? I, you know, <laughs> Vanessa, back at you, but Vanessa, it's an important topic. This is, this is my interview. Come on now. I know. I know. Okay. <laughs> no, it's a great point. I mean, you know, when do you discipline your special needs child? When do you discipline your terminally ill child? When do you separate the two, uh, two or three kids who are fighting over, you know, space and attention and anger and resentment? It's it's got to be fully rampant in any family. So why wouldn't it be any different in a special needs family? I mean, it's probably even worse. I mean, 
I I know from firsthand. I have separated my boys because boys will be boys and they like to beat the shit out of each other. And you know the the two kids they go together. It's gonna be MMA upstairs in the loft. And if I hear screaming and thumping, I go up there and I say, "What's up?" You know, mm-hmm. are they are they being boys? Sure, but you know, when you pull away Mr. Gage from Sebastian, and Gage is uh, my uh, younger thirteen year old son, okay. and he'll tell you. That he's just he's had enough. He's had enough of Sebastian this and Sebastian gets that and Sebastian this and all that other stuff. So, you know, what do you do in that situation? Uh, in the beginning, I was like dumbfounded. I was uh, angry. I was like, how dare you? And then I had to realize, you know, I came from four children. And I'm the youngest of four children. Uh, and I got my ass beat all the time. Um mm-hmm. So it's, it, I had to really kind of like put that into perspective and it, but it's different. And I, I realized that, you know, once you actually talk to your sibling, uh, that is normal, whatever normal is, you, you basically, you find that there's a lot of fear about their brother or sister potentially dying and they're angry and they're upset and they, they don't get all the attention, but that's just a byproduct of just any sibling rivalry. But you know, I put Gage in therapy a long time ago just because I knew it would help him because that helps me. I'm in therapy. Uh, Vanessa, I've been in there pretty much 95% of my life, and it's the best thing I've ever done. Uh, so coping skills, how do you do it? Well, for me and this family, uh, because I, I am divorced, and and I think that that plays another big part of the uh, the sadness and the anger and the resentment. I think that uh, therapy is is amazing. You know, you uh, you've been probably told to go to therapy yourself, whether you chose to go to it or not, um, is up to you. But I w- I'm a proponent of therapy and talking and opening communication and just letting these kids spill their heart and guts about all the anger, all the the resentment, all the good, all the amazing. You know, because we're family, and this is the only family we got. Right, and it is all part of the human experience. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, you know, do I discipline Sebastian? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I try to keep him as normal as possible. I mean, do I feel sad? Do I feel bad that he's going to potentially die before me? Yes. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, while I have him, I've got to make him a good human. I've got to help him become a man. I've got to mentor him just like Gage. So, you know, that's, that's nothing that I've never would – shuck aside because of his illness i don't know do you do that with grant uh we don't do any discipline at all but also he's lost the cognitive ability of reasoning so he functions more at, i would say an 18 month old level so there's really no point and knowing um he won't there's no point there's no point it does it would it does not make sense so do you no. do you tend to fall back on helping your your daughter understand the behavior or yes yes absolutely and so with her what we've seen is when you talk about resentment um, we've seen the jealousy of a, attention we've seen her mimic behaviors there was a time period yeah. when she would pretend to have seizures all the time wow and then she when he started losing his ability to walk she would see him get carried more and more. And she would ask to be carried. And even now, to this day, I'll still carry her, carry her around from time to time um, because she sees me carry him. Of course, I say, you know, mom's got a, her back hurts today or whatever it is. But <laughs> I, I, there is those times when I feed into it because she just wants to have 
that special um, feeling with me or to be treated equal. Recently, I've told her that um, I've just kind of given her a heads up that Grant will be losing his sight soon because although he does get enzyme replacement therapy, it doesn't do anything for the eyes. No. And so that eye loss, I believe it's already starting a little bit. Yeah. Um, we, we still plan to do some testing to get that confirmed, but there's really nothing that can be done about it at this, at this point, unless some type of trial comes out or treatment that would make sense to do so. And so when, as soon as I mentioned that, she started um, walking around with her eyes closed. And I said, what are you doing? And I think it's that twin empathy where she wants, they have that twin connection. They've always done everything together and she wants to feel how her brother feels. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can only imagine um, what that must so, be. That's an added, that's another added stress. Wow. Right. <laughs> so we've recently had her um, talking with a social worker through our palliative team that comes to the house as well as we have her um, talking to the social worker at school. So she gets 30 minutes a week at school, just kind of talk about things that are going on at home. And then also to teach her coping school. So up, sorry, coping skills. So what we do is they, she learns how to talk about the emotions. Okay. That's sad. That's angry. That's jealous. So how do I identify it? And then we just kind of walk around our house and we talk about our feelings a lot. And then over time, she'll get coping tools applied to that. So we're all just working on our toolbox these days to help her through it because us in our 40s as adults and with the level of reasoning we have, we still struggle to process it. And so imagine being her twin and being so young and have witnessed so much. And now you have to contend with all these big changes and all these big emotions. And what I mean by the changes is she's now becoming more aware now that they're five and a half. I think when we were, when they were three, when they were four, there wasn't that big of a difference. And now you really see that big difference as Grant goes off to his um, special needs school and Viv goes off to a regular kindergarten and they're both almost like only children functioning in that way. Well, you know, hopefully um, when they get a little bit older and Viv really gets into this, blossoming period of maturity which i'm sure she is probably far greater along than most of her children her age because of this disease i know gauges yes absolutely um, and that will calm down a little bit and we have the ability to uh, introduce some empathy into her life for her brother but that that will be another conversation to do again with you in another time of course but i gotta tell you we are out of time and I've enjoyed listening to Vanessa, Vanessa Severance. You can catch her on Facebook uh, for Rise Up for Grant. And I don't think you have any other social media platforms, do you, V? No, I don't. No. Okay. Not okay. yet. So basically, uh, Vanessa with uh, Alan and Viv and Grant, of course, being the star. Uh, are all just struggling in their daily lives and they're making it work just like everybody else. And, and I think it's an amazing um, perspective, uh, Vanessa, that you put on having all of these things going on. And it's like, as you said, this machine every day that's in process. And I appreciate your candor and I, I applaud you asking for help and getting the things in place that you need and not um, uh, 
failing in the sense that you probably blame yourself. I didn't really hear that at all. And I, it's so important to empower ourselves because you really are a great, great mother. I have seen oh, thank you. So uh, your family's thank just you. awesome. You guys are rock stars. Looking forward to some more pictures of Grant online, but <laughs> that's it for you today, honey. And I appreciate everything that you're doing and you just keep us informed. Okay. Excellent. Um, do I have time to just say one more thing? Yeah. Uh, okay. Are we out of time? Uh, you know, I just wanted to say something um, another Batten mom said, and I don't think I could say it better than her, but she said, um, people often say how strong we are, you, me, other Batten families, other Batten parents that are going through this. And one thing to, to remember is we were not born with superpowers or super strength. And there was a time when our lives were normal. Okay. I like yep. it. And so it's through this adversity that um, we have become extraordinary and to do things we never thought uh, we'd have to do, be capable of doing. Well, I think that's a really good point. I mean, I certainly have become the man I am today because of being a father and uh, this disease has changed my entire perspective. Um, as awesome as these compliments we do get, yes, I still, I still remain uh, very uh vigilant in the area of being humble and grateful which is uh, it's hard when you're angry sometimes you know so you're doing a great job chris you're spectacular well thank you very much vanessa all right thanks for having me take care you guys take care thank you I really appreciate all of your listeners today. Today was an amazing podcast. Special shout out to Vanessa Severance. Rise Up for Grant is the Facebook page. Please check it out and uh, spread some love and some awareness and uh, hit up Vanessa anytime to check in. She is exceptionally busy, but she is always on it. She always takes uh, messages, so she's pretty good about that. I wanted to say thank you to our sponsors, Blue Media, of course and raffle ready don't forget everybody the super bowl raffle is ongoing where you too can win two tickets to this year's super bowl super bowl 53 is in atlanta so make sure you go to projectsebastian.org and hit that first button when it lands on the page that says win super bowl tickets all right so basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to send you and a friend to super bowl 53 course all the money goes to project sebastian for the well health and welfare of all the kids out there as well as all the clinical trials that are starting to come in i'm gonna have some big news for you next time we talk uh so stay tuned once again it's chris falona director of project sebastian bringing to you yet another episode of the project sebastian podcast see you next time guys